Speaking about this time tomorrow, and in particular Jesus, this time tomorrow, and with even greater focus, the sense of obligation we feel to tell people about Jesus at 9.50 on Monday morning, we have to realize that this time tomorrow, many of us are going to be around offices or in neighborhoods or maybe even a late carpool or on campuses where the majority of the people this time tomorrow actually need to and would benefit from the good news that Jesus brings. And we bring Jesus and his good news to those folks that need it the most. How do we know that? Because where are those folks? We need it the most, have needed it, and will need it. Grace has been a theme so far this morning. It's been the one word to remember for folks who are for a hundred years joining with their families to give people hope. But many of those contexts especially where you are employed, will demand a very high price if you do tell people during that work day, this time tomorrow, demand a very high price from you. You know that. At school, you're not going to get fired, but you're, you're going to wish you could sometimes. That's the price your friends and your community can make you pay for being so whacked out that you tell people about Jesus. And you know, over the school lunch break, you're not invited to that table you used to sit at before, and you know that over at that table they're talking about how weird you are and how it's not much, when they see you coming down the hallway, go the other direction. But at work, you know that if you go and this time tomorrow tell Jesus, tell people about Jesus, you could be called in, it's going to be put on report. So all it takes is one person to complain about the kindness and the love you show from our perspective. From their perspective, it's very different. There could be a very high price for actually talking about Jesus. Maybe that's why there's a growing interest, and has been for some time, maybe a decade or so, in the use of a now famous St. Francis quote. Most of you have probably heard this. The quote goes like this, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, do you know the quote? Use words. Preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words. In other words, that saying is trying to communicate, among other things, that there's more to being faithful to Jesus this time tomorrow than just talking about Jesus. But in spite of what you may have heard, talking about him, because this also implies an out for us when we're starting to feel comfortable, and you know, the, the moment your heart starts to quiver and, you, and speed up and you, you have an opportunity, to, why are you so happy all the time? And you think, oh, I know why I'm happy most of the time, or at least more of the time, I know, but I'm going to withhold information and in effect tell less than the full, because you know, art tells us about that saying, right? Everything that's said must be true, but not everything that's true must be said. And I want to I selectively apply that right now. In spite of what that saying implies, I need to tell you pretty plainly, talking about Jesus is still assumed. It's still necessary. It must 
happen. 2,000 years of New Testament history and biblical teaching can't be that wrong. Preach the word or the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. But listen, we still need to use words. And so here we see the tension. You're in this situation where this time tomorrow we feel like somebody needs to hear about this Jesus who loves them. My coworker would love to be loved like I've been loved by Jesus. And who's going to tell them? I want to tell them I love them. I care about them. But I also want to stay employed. So we have this, this tension. And at the same time, adding to it, not diminishing it, but adding to it, the scripture seems to be backing up the value of that verbalization of our faith. So what I want to do in the 15 minutes I've left myself today, very quickly, basic stuff, nothing radical, not very confusing, is give some insights on how to talk about Jesus, how to verbalize your faith, place your faith out there without placing your head on the chopping block whether it's at school or in your neighborhood, in the carpool, with a friend over a cup of coffee, or even at work. And here's the first insight. These are, these are things that have been taught forever that I have just started to figure out, and I thought I'd share them with you today. Here's the first one. When you speak about Jesus, and hold on, time out. You understand when you go to work, you're supposed to work. God's not thrilled to say, oh, look at my daughter. She's down there sharing her faith. She's getting paid 30 bucks an hour to put information into a computer, but she spends half her day sharing her faith. She's so wonderful. No, I think the Lord's message is, hey, look, man, the guy's paying you work. And then look for opportunities during your break or whatever. But, so I'm not implying that it's a noble thing for a Christian to say, I took a stand and I took the paycheck too, but I took a stand and I talked about Jesus for four out of my eight hours. Should I not be applauded? No, you should be fired. <laughs> right? So don't hear me saying that. But with wisdom and leading of the Holy Spirit, this time tomorrow, you're going to have times when that context gives you opportunity. And when you have those opportunities, may I encourage you please to speak about Jesus intelligently. Speak with intelligence. Write this down in your minds and on your hearts. There's a big difference between faithfulness and foolishness. There's a big difference between boldness and rudeness. And in my experience, and it's been my experience to do it as well at different times of my life, Christians sometimes don't get that difference. We're stealing sometimes from our employers, stealing time from people. But speak with intelligence. Talking about Jesus is still part of what we do, but it never has been God's instruction ever for us to do it without our brains fully engaged. Inspired, say it with me. Intelligent, say it with me. Intelligent and involved. So we're thinking through what we're saying. We're theologically astute. We know what's going on. We know how to think. We read things we don't quite understand yet because we want to be able to get to the point where we do understand. Then we read more things we don't understand. 
But we're also intelligent and aware of how a certain word or thing will be heard by the one we're saying it to. And if we know that this phrase now means this, it means what it used to mean in my mind, but if they hear it at work, they're going to hear this. Once we know that, we must be intelligent about the way we communicate and maybe find some new ways to say it. We're supposed to speak with brains fully engaged. Listen to Romans 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be rescued or saved. How then can they call on the one uh, they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? Just the basic logic here. And how can they hear without somebody telling them or preaching to them? That's not, that's spoken. There's no question about it. And how can anyone preach or speak or share about Jesus, talk about Jesus, unless they're sent there to do it. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And then Colossians 4, devote yourselves, and listen here to the emphasis on thinking. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Watchful, thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our verbal message so that we may proclaim a verbal word, the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, people who aren't followers of Christ yet. Be wise, think. Make the most of every opportunity. And then this, let your conversations, in the context of still engaging verbally, with outsiders. I don't like the word outsiders, but that's the translation. It didn't send the same emotional message then as it would now. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Oh, there's that word again. Seasoned with salt. There's a, it's, it's a preservative. It, it's a positive thing. So that you may know how to answer everyone. And the implication, the implied statement challenge here is, when you answer, answer in ways that make it easier to hear. I had a, son, a conversation with my old son a couple weeks ago. It wasn't a pleasant conversation for either of us. In fact, I think I was out of line. But then I was, then I was being faithful. That justification lasted about five minutes. When my son said to me, David says to me, Dad, I'm just not used to having to put my dukes up when I see your name on the caller ID. And I was so aggressive and came at him so hard in such a raw, emotional, Italian way that it wasn't something he was welcoming and ready. He was like this. And this text is saying, when you talk to people about Jesus, whether it's at work or wherever, this time tomorrow, watch for them having to go like this and try to find a way to speak intelligently so that they say, well, huh, I don't know about that, but I'm, all right, keep talking. Okay, so when we do that, speak with intelligence. Not only is talking about Jesus not wrong, it's assumed by Scripture. But Scripture is also aware of the fact, and the writers were aware of the fact, that there sure are wrong ways to do that talking. Ways that are not appropriate to the context, unnecessarily offensive, and bottom line, they're not Holy Spirit trusting kind of ways to do language. They're us trusting ways to speak. And then we put off the very ones 
We'd love to help. So speak with intelligence. Speak with thoughtfulness. Secondly, speak with relevance when we speak of Jesus this time tomorrow. When you do talk to him, consider relevant language. We're not uh, trapped, entrapped by the language of Scripture. We're not necessarily obedient to the exact way they verbalize things when Jesus was alive or shortly after he was alive in the first century. We are yielded to the concepts, the teachings, the points, the theological points. But speak with relevance when we speak so that it's an ongoing conversation and it hits the target of what's going on in somebody's life right now. But the language, the, the words we choose represent the nowness of the approach that Jesus has with people and hit the target. Paul did this in Acts 17. He's waiting for people in Athens. He's greatly distressed. This city full of angels or idols that he sees and he reasoned in the synagogue both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day after day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean Stoic philosophers began to debate with him, and some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? If you haven't heard that in your context, uh, trust me, some version of it's still probably being said at the break room. Others remarked, he seems to be advocating uh, advocating foreign gods because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas Then listen to this. So Paul then stood up in the meeting and he said, and here he goes, speaking with relevance. People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. That's like the just in case we miss, we don't want to offend anybody up there. That's how religious you are. And then he goes and almost undoes what he said because his next statement, you'd want to say, you'd want to phrase this differently. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship, but that doesn't have the negative sense. I mean, you, you, so you don't really even understand the very thing you worship. Otherwise, why would you put an inscription to the God we don't know about and don't understand? That's more the sense of what Paul's saying. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. But do you see how he changed his language and had a relevant approach that wouldn't get him fired, or not necessarily. When you speak about Jesus this time tomorrow, stop and think and speak with relevance. It's not enough to come and quote the old uh, preacher and then call it faithfulness. Thus saith the Lord, you're all going to die. Thus saith the Lord, you're violating this principle and that principle. It may be true, but that's not the way to say it. Speak with relevance. Let's talk about your heart. Tell me about your family. I noticed you were crying before we went on break. 
what, what's going on? Is there something that you're missing in your life? Can I tell you about what's helped me? Talk, speak with relevance. You're not trapped by language. Some of the terms that I begin to use more these days, I've found are more acceptable but mean the same thing as the language I used to use. So I'm using, this is just some examples for me, when I, when I talk about Jesus uh, and want to move to spiritual conversations with people, I find that people are more open to the term Christian spirituality than they are to the term Christianity for some reason. I think it gives a sense Christian spirituality humbly recognizes that there are other spiritualities, other ways to explain things without necessarily agreeing with them. But from a Christian spirituality perspective, then that sounds to folks who aren't really sold out, like, okay, well, well, they're not completely closed-minded, and that's what I thought Christians were. It's just a change of a term that lets me say the same thing. Uh, You've heard us say many times here things that try to explain what it means to be a Christian by using two doorways. Uh, It's about Christianity, being a Christian is about source of life, and way of life. Recently, as two or three weeks ago, Ben preached, and he, did, he, he used that bifurcation to his own benefit. Remember, he said, now, if you're here today and you just live out the principles that Jesus taught, that's going to be good for you. That's a good thing. That's better than not. That's way of life. But then he went on to say, yeah, but the fullness <laughs> of the whole deal, I mean, the even, the even better deal is that we have a new source of life. There's a relationship with Jesus, and sins are forgiven. But to use those kinds of terms, I've found to be very helpful in conversation. I speak of Jesus as our rescuer and our leader. He is our savior. But those are among the things that are, in, are housed in the term. Savior don't sound so religious. So my point is some simple examples. Speak with relevance when you speak with Jesus. And then my final point. Sorry, I didn't warn you. But my body didn't warn me either just then, so here we go. (laughs) This, I think, is the most important point. When you speak of Jesus this time tomorrow, don't forget to speak from your knees. Don't forget to talk about Jesus and, and communicate Jesus through your prayers for people. We define evangelism as anything we do in cooperation with the Holy Spirit and others to lead a person one step closer to Christ. That's evangelism. So if you believe that somebody kneeling down or praying... Lord, in, in 2000 and whenever it was, no, 1975. Lord, that kid, Art Greco, I pray that you would penetrate his heart. I pray that you would change the way he thinks. I pray that you would address the many insecurities that keep him from selling out to what he knows in the deepest places of his soul is true. If you believe that that activity of prayer has something to do with leading a guy like me one step closer to Jesus, 
then that's evangelism, that prayer. Don't, when you speak about Jesus in those places where you can put your head on the chopping block, do not forget to speak from your knees and pray evangelistically for people. Pray for the opportunity to share Christ with them. 1 Timothy 2, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and those in authority, I think Paul would recognize that people understood him to be saying, for your least favorite king or person in authority, that we may live, pray that we may live Pray for them so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives or ordered lives in all goodness and holiness. So there's an instruction about those in authority that make the decisions that affect all of us. We ought to be praying for them so that we can have a normal, just, merciful, kind, orderly society. But he's saying, pray for me and then pray for them. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be rescued or saved, and to come to the knowledge of truth. So he's saying, pray for these folks that they would move toward Jesus. Why? Because God's heart for everybody is to be in the fellowship in which we find ourselves. That's his longing for everybody. Picture right now your least favorite politician. I'm sorry, I just ruined Sunday morning for you. I'm telling you, that person is precious. God is head over heels in love with that person and longs for them to know it. Don't forget when you talk about Jesus to do some of it from your knees. And Romans 10, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites in this situation is that they may be rescued, they may be saved. So don't forget to speak from your knees. Everyone knows that hypocrisy, speaking of the way we live in front of people, sort of sterilizes evangelism. Yeah, right, talk, a nice talk. But I saw the way you just treated your spouse. I saw, you're talking about Jesus and how great he is, and I saw the way you treated your waitress. And it's hypocrisy. So it's never a good idea to say with your lips what everyone has seen us denying with our actions. We all understand that, right? In that regard, the St. Francis quote I started with could be helpful. Preach at all times when necessary. Use words. But there's a problem with the quote. You know what it is? Francis never said it. I don't know how it got attached to St. Francis, there's not one writing, not one of his biographers, no evidence from the earliest record. And we have all kinds of records of things that he said. Not one, ever, of St. Francis saying that. Further, neither did he practice it. The dude couldn't walk past a rose bush without preaching to it. It's brother, son, sister, moon. I mean, he'd find the canaries and say, did you know that God loves you and that Jesus died for you for all of creation? Hey, slug. Hey, banana slug, come here. He, he was sure to be able to catch up with the banana slug. No matter, he, come here, let me tell you about you. St. Francis 
talked about Jesus all the time. The point of that is this. Beware the temptation to find ways to avoid obvious, somewhat risky challenges to be faithful to the verbalization of faith in the name of false quotes. Oh, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Man, you don't change what you say then. That's not the fix. The fix is change what you're living so that what we speak of, although we do it intelligently and relevantly, and what it looks like we live are the same. When we speak of Jesus this time tomorrow, speak with intelligence, thoughtfulness. Speak with relevance. And for goodness sake, speak from your knees. Just some stuff I'm learning. Let's pray. Here's what we know for sure, Lord, one of the things we know for sure, that this time tomorrow, wherever we are, you'll be. This time tomorrow, whatever we face, you'll face. At this time tomorrow, whatever it is that might be buckling our knees or at least causing them to shake, you'll address for us and with us. That wherever we go this time tomorrow, we can be sure that you've gone before us because you're far more active than any of us could ever imagine. Lord, if you're not willing that any should perish, if you're not willing that any should live a life that's anything less than the abundant life, then we pray that by the power and changing force of your Holy Spirit, you would cause us to be not willing as well. Okay, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Even though Francis didn't say it, it's still a good idea. But we know and confess here today that you never said nor intended for us to live lives that never use words. Give power to those words and effectiveness in the name of the kind, loving, merciful, truth-telling Jesus. Amen. Would you stand now and be dismissed this blessing? How can they hear if no one will ever tell them? Uh, you know they can't. Very rare thing. So be tellers. Be conversationalists, but be smart. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.